they don't need to hear me. They need to hear you. Would you in some miraculous way speak to each heart? Would you touch each heart? Would you move upon each heart? And Lord, you're the one who have to draw the people to yourself. There's no words that a pastor can say. There's no words that anyone else can really say. It takes you and you alone to draw people to you. You're the one, Lord, that has to crack the window of heaven that some might be able to see. You're the one through the power of your Holy Spirit has to speak to their spirit that they might hear from you. Lord, would you do a work that only you can do and we'll give you praise and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Two of the men on our, in our men's group on second Wednesday, second Sunday of the month, two of the men asked me this question. Pastor, why aren't we reaching today's generation? Why aren't we reaching the younger people of today? Really didn't have an answer for them. Because, see, today... You can witness to somebody, and it means nothing. You can talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, and it means nothing. There has to be something that God has already pre-done in their heart or in their mind for them to think about God or to acknowledge God. This thing about church is one of the most confusing things in our society. You cannot show me a scripture that says you're the church, but you'll hear people say, I'm the church, I'm the church. And you can't show me a scripture nowhere in the Bible that says you're the church. You can show me a scripture that says you're the temple, Because the temple is where God dwells. And you are his holy temple if you are saved and the Holy Spirit dwells there. And you're not saved if the Holy Spirit is not dwelling there. But people think they can do church all by themselves at home. Church cannot be performed by yourself. The word church itself means called out ones. It's plural. There's more than one. Called out ones. It is those who are called out to worship God. Whether it be in a basement, in a living room, in a facility like this, or another church, or a storefront, whatever you want to call it. The people have been called out to worship God, to meet with the Lord. And today we have it in mind that I can have church all by myself. No, you can't. Why? You do not really have any form of the body of Christ. It takes two or three 
to form the body of Christ or to make up where Jesus says the least number. Two or three of you who are present, he's where? He's in the midst. But we have all these crazy notions. So what we just went through a few weeks ago over the issue of God speaking to us, the question is, what's he going to speak to us about? When I was in the Marine Corps, and for two years, basically, what I basically heard was Marine Corps talk and how powerful you were as a Marine and what all you could do as a Marine. You could call it brainwashing, whatever you want to do, but I did hear about a bunch of other stuff. I heard everything about Marine Corps. Army the same way, Air Force same way, Navy same way, any basic or organization you belong to, you begin to hear about that organization. If you're in the body of Christ, God's main purpose for speaking to us is about his kingdom and his church and how we are to live as his servants in serving his church and his kingdom. That's the reason God wants to speak to us. He doesn't want to really speak to me about my car. He doesn't want to speak to me about the shoes I wear or the shirt I got on or this or that. What he wants to do is speak to my heart about his kingdom, his church, being his servant. And in being his servant, he will teach me how to dress. He'll teach me how to speak. He'll teach me what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. He'll educate me. Now, no teacher teaches without speaking, and the Holy Spirit is said to be our teacher. So in Romans 8, it says that the Spirit of God speaks to our spirit in whom the God speaks to the Holy Spirit, who in turn speaks where? To our spirit that dwells in us. He wants to communicate. He wants to communicate about his church. And what is Jesus going to speak to us about? His church. His church. And we got to get back to that. It's whose church? His church. His church. We hear so much today, and one of the problems that is going on today is that young people don't understand whose church it is because people go around talking about my church, my church, our church, and I'll tell you what won't happen in my church. I'll tell you who can come through those doors in my church. And when you come through those doors, how you got to act, talk, and and dress and, and, and do in my church. But if it's his church, then there's something else that has to guide us. His word. And he says his house is for all people. All people. No matter where you start at. Hey, what God looks at is the finished product. Not where you first meet him, but what you're going to be before he calls you home. 
And what he does in your life, from where he begins to work in you, to where you are a finished product. What is Jesus going to speak about to us? His church. How I am to obey in his church. How I am to function in his church. How I am to look in his church. Why? Paul says, as people look at your lives, he says, you are our written epistles. Read of who? Read of men. Well, God's not going to have people reading some junk about him in your life. So it's going to be something very positive and strong. You need to understand something about church. It's not your church. That's one of the first things we have to allow young people to understand. It's not our church. It's not the pastor's church. Never give me ownership of this church because one day I'm going to leave it. I don't own it. I don't own it. Now understand this about the pastor. He's just like you. He's just the servant of the church. That's all. The pastor is just a servant of the church. He's one of the workers in the church. That's all. Nothing special about pastor. And it's not his church. But it's his church. And we got to let the world know again that the church belongs to Jesus Christ. Not to any group of human beings or one person. Now we got to understand this. Everything performed in your life, good, bad, weak, strong, whatever, however you might want to classify it, whatever is performed in your life is to assist in the work of building the kingdom and his church. Whatever is done in your life, good, bad, or ugly, is done for the purpose of building his kingdom, his church. You say, well, what does that look like? You might be going through something you don't want to go through. But you know what God is building? He's building a testimony in you that other people will listen to. But unless you went through those things, unless you had your ups and downs, unless you bruised your skin, unless something is broken in you, you have no story to tell. You have no story to tell. You have a story to tell about Jesus as you see Jesus putting something that is all messed up from the floor up that Jesus put it back together. That little nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Well, think of yourself as Humpty Dumpty. And God did what? Put you back together again. Now you got something to speak about. Now you got something to share. 
Now you got a story to tell somebody. Now you got a witness in a sense that you can really witness because why? It happened to who? It happened to you that you can tell people this is what God did in my life. This is what the Lord did in my life. This is what my Jesus did in my life. And they'll listen to you. Because it's what God did for you and you know that he did it. And when you speak about what God's done for you, it becomes very much alive. It's not the story of what Paul said or what Peter said or what Luke said or what this was said. Now it's very authentic in a sense because it happened to who? You. To you. Everything performed in your life, God has a reason and a purpose behind it. Because it's going to assist in his work, in building his kingdom and his church. Remember this. You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship to do good works. You are his workmanship. He's the one that has to work in you to do whatever good you do. And he has to teach you and equip you. Understand that principle. God has to teach you. Just like you sit in somebody's class from kindergarten all the way up through grad school. You're in somebody's class and somebody's what? Teaching you. Christianity is a life spent in the classroom with the Holy Spirit as the professor teaching us. And as one person said earlier, some of the things I don't like what God teaches me or has me to do or go through. But I have to remember this is for his purpose, for his glory for my good. Romans 8:28. Now, what is God doing? Would you turn with me to Colossians 1 real quick? Because we need to see what is God in one sense doing in us and through us. Because it's his work. His purpose. Pick up with me in verse 27 in Colossians 1. He says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery. What is God doing? He's revealing his mystery. A mystery is always something that was hidden but now being revealed. He's making known this mystery. What is the mystery? To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in where? You, the hope of what? Glory. Now, how many of us really believe Christ dwells in us? Someone who lived well over 
two, three, four thousand years ago is now living in us. See, that's hard to comprehend. That's hard to accept. That Christ lives in you. The God who the universe cannot contain, yet somehow lives in this small body. Lives in us. I can't explain to you how that happens. But what makes it real is this. He says it. And I believe it. And he's living in me. He's living through me. And he goes on and he says, We proclaim him. We proclaim him. Who is the we? It's the apostle. It's all the believers. It's all the saints. It's those who have experienced Christ living in them. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom for this purpose. So we may present everyone what? Perfect or mature. Mature. Mature in the faith. Mature in what they believe. And he goes on and he says, In Christ, to this end I labor, Paul says. To this end I labor, struggling. Look at what's taking place. To reach a people of that day, Paul says, I labor, I'm working. To reach a people today, we got to be willing to labor. We got to be willing to work. To reach a people today, look what Paul says in that day. Struggling. We got to be willing to struggle. That means do things that are uncomfortable. That means doing things when you're tired. How many of you have been tired to a point that you just said, Lord, help me? Yeah. You need extra strength. And Paul said, I'm struggling to get people to know Christ. I'm laboring. I'm struggling. Now listen. This is the important part. With all his energy. In your flesh, you're right. You're tired. You're a deadbeat. You're not willing to do anything. And that's the flesh. That's the flesh. But somehow when you're doing it for God... He energizes. He strengthens. For 10 years I was chaplain down at the hospital and the first seven years or so they allowed you to bring the beeper home and everything and if something really happened down in an emergency or, or if a patient died or was about ready to die uh, that beeper would go off and you had about... 10, 15 minutes to get down to the hospital, which wasn't far. Since I lived right here in Akron General, just down the hill, they allowed me to come home and sleep. But if that beeper went off, I had to jump up, get dressed, run down. And sometime, I'm going to tell you, 
I didn't feel like going. But there's never been a time that when I spent with families that I was disappointed. And somehow God really blessed and the joy that came from encouraging a family. To go into a Jewish family who had just lost a a husband or a father and not to offend them. To, To go in with Catholics and 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 there were called, there's that shortage of Catholic priests. Uh, I learned Hail Mary, full of grace, and I, I learned different things with different groups to just break the ice and to at least start to speak about Jesus and the Lord. But there's always that struggle. But yet somehow God would give wisdom. He would give energy. He would give strength. He would give what is needed. And God will do that to each and every one of us. I don't care how you ache, how sore you are, what's going on. Somehow God should. It surprised me. Sometimes God enables me to stand up here. When the back is weak, the knees are weak, everything's weak. But yet I'm standing. It's only by his grace. Only by his grace. And Paul says, yes, boy, we struggle with all his energy. And I want you to underline that. Whose energy? His energy. The scripture says, if there be a willing mind, that's acceptable for God. Only thing God is asking you to have a willing mind. But if you don't have a willing mind, there's no use him giving you the strength. But if you have a willing mind, he says he will empower you. He will strengthen you. He'll give what is necessary in order to do what he is asking to be done. And again, he says, all his energy, which is so powerfully, works in me. Look at Paul's testimony there. God's energy so powerfully, what? Works where? In me. God's energy so powerfully works in me. Can, can you say that, that God's power works in you? Or is it all you? And if it's all you, you're right. You're going to give up. You're going to quit. You're going to not want to do anything else. Why? It's just you. And it's good reason, rational. Boy, I'm old now. tired now. Retired now. I'm broke now. I'm sick now. I'm knit. You can reason yourself right out of working for the Lord. Your rationale will stop you cold. But if you just say, Lord, I'm willing, you know this frame, you know this body. This is what Paul says His energy. His energy. And it's going to take his energy, his struggling, his power to reach this generation that we're trying to reach today. Because they don't see any good in the church. They don't see any good reason to even come to church. Now, One of the problems may be that we have taught ourselves to say, yes, God, 
Now follow with me in this. We'll say, yes, God. I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. But no church. No church. No church. And somehow, psychologically, we are separated Jesus Christ, God, from church. But yet, Colossians 1 says, he is the head of the church. Now, if he's the head of the church or the head of the body, how can he be separated from the body unless you cut off the head from what? From the body and separate it. But he says he is the head of the church. And we have taught ourselves, I can separate Jesus from his church. And therefore, I am pleasing to Jesus doing what I do over here without ever being involved in church. So this world out here believes it does not have to be involved in church in order to please Jesus. And there's a fallacy in that. You cannot be functioning in the body of Christ, in the work of Christ, all out here on your own. That's like one of the baseball players for the Cleveland Indians playing against the Dodgers all by themselves. Is he going to play first base, second base, third base? Is he going to pitch? Is he going to be the shortstop? Is he going to be the center fielder, left fielder, right fielder? He can't be all those things. He can be at one of them, but he can't be at all of them. And it takes that team, it takes that body in order to function. Now, many people have separated him. And yet Colossians 1.18 says he is the head of the church. Now, many people in our day think Christianity no longer represents what Jesus had in mind. This week I was going through a little study on the baby boomers, the Xers, the Zers, this group and that group, just trying to understand what did each group really hold as a value. And we're in the Z generation. And if you look at the Z generation, they are really doing what they say their real value is. Their real value is to cause diversity or to mix the races in all kind of ways that there's only one race. That's their main value. And then to exclude the number one race and blend it in through all this mixture that we see even taking place today. And I said, well, boy, who would ever come up with something like that? And this disease generation because the church has done a very poor job in doing that so in church life we have black church white church we have chinese church the Hmong church that shouldn't be from their thinking it should just be what church and whoever walks through those doors are welcome whether chinese Hmong, filipino 
Japanese, Caucasian, black, Puerto Rican, whatever. But the church has failed in showing that picture to this generation. And they're troubled by that. So they do not think that the church really represents what Jesus stood for. And no longer represents what Jesus had in mind, that the Christianity in our society is not what was meant to be. And they say it in these words, it's not authentic. It's not real. It's not real. So they see the church as a showmanship. And what is articulated, the music, the drama that goes on, is not authentic. They see something else about the church. It's not sincere. Is not sincere. And you can't attract people unless you really are sincere. One of the first things that they teach a salesperson is simply this. You have to make the people believe that you are sincere about the product that you're selling. It's the number one product. It's the best product out here. You have to be sincere about that in order to be able to sell that product. Well, we're not doing very good selling our product of Jesus Christ because the sincerity is oftentimes lacking and this young generation is looking for sincerity is it real is it authentic and then the third thing is it factual if they speak to a lot of Christians a lot of Christians couldn't tell you where to find the book of Genesis But yet, they're Christians and they love the Lord and can't tell you anything about his word. When I was in Vietnam and I would receive a letter from Elaine, I didn't read that letter just one time. I read that letter a number of times until I got the next letter. And she told me when I got home, when she was working at Barton Citizen Hospital during her lunchtime, that's when she would write her letters. And I would read that letter until I got the next letter. And I read that letter maybe four, five, six, seven times sometimes. But the whole process, I'm away from the Lord, but he's given me a letter to read. It don't matter how many times I read this. You just keep reading it. Why? It reminds you and brings you closer to who? To him. Though Elaine was thousands of miles away from me, reading that letter brought her right there with me. And even though she wasn't there for me to talk to, in a sense, that letter I could talk to. And then I could start writing back. And so it is with you and the Lord and this letter that he's given to us called the Bible. You can begin to write back and speak to him. Now, is the church too political? That's another issue that has to be dealt with. A lot of young people today and a lot of people outside the church see the church too political. 
are people to be controlled by political values or biblical values? That becomes a question that we have to answer. How political should we be as a church? Now, understand this. As individuals, you need to vote and you need to voice your opinion. You need to be involved politically. But as a church, we don't need to be involved politically. We need to be involved biblically. And there's a huge difference between being biblically and politically. The church is to train the people how to function in righteousness so that when they go out here and vote, they just don't look at something and just, yeah, A, B, C, this one, this one, that one. No, is it right? And you get that one that is close to biblical action or biblical righteousness, and you vote in that manner. But that's in the church that is carried out where? In the world. Now there's something taking place today that the church somehow is somehow backing this and backing that and backing that and thinking political that a political law that may be passed may do away with homosexuality. That if we can get a a biblical act of somebody in the presidency that believes biblically, they will just act according to this word. Well, the Constitution prevents that. He can have his own conviction, but he has to be the president of who? Of all, not just those who name Christ. And no political party can change or transform a person's life like the Word of God. So the political party, it has its job, but the church has its job, and that is to teach biblical truth that will transform a person. And the political, Democrat or Republican, can't do that. But are we trying to control people by controlling a political party? Or is the church really believing in the word of God, biblical truth, in order to control and dictate behaviors of people in the values of Jesus Christ? Has the church stolen God's position? And this generation believed that the church had stolen the voice of God. In this sense, God has the final word. If a homosexual come through that door, or a transgender come through that door, my job is to teach what God's word says. It's not my job to go out trying to change that person, but God's word has to do what? The changing. I have to trust in God's word to change the heart and the mind. Not me attacking the person. You can't come in here like that. You can't come here with that kind of philosophy. You can't know. Come on in. Sit down. 
And after church, let's, let's even talk about it. Let's sharpen each other. See? It's not a no, you cannot. See, God may just begin, be in the beginning of a work when that person even walks through the door. Most gay right now, the fastest growing church in the United States is gay churches. Is gay churches. And it's not just gay people going to them. It's straight people also. But everybody who walks through their church, through their doors, is acceptable. Everybody who walks through our doors sometimes are not acceptable. Isn't that amazing? AA has a better following and consistent following than what the church does. Because the AA doesn't turn anybody away. So we got to re-examine ourselves. We got to look at ourselves, and we got to ask ourselves: Are we trying to play God and have the final word in someone's life, or do we allow this word to have that final word, and to God to speak to them? Very quickly, five more minutes, and I'll be done here. We'll end with Matthew 18:1. In 1950, the 1980. And this comes from a Pew Form study and studying the generations over time. From 1950 to 1980, unchurch saw Christ first, community, and then cause. In other words, you came to Christ before you ever got involved in community. You really came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And because you got involved in Christ, you got involved in community, and you begin to see the causes. And you would select one of the causes that you were going to get behind and really work with also. For what? For the glory of Christ in the community. From the 1990s to 2000, the unchurched saw a shift. The unchurched went after community. But they saw it was happening around Christ or within the church. So a lot of the community joined church. So one of the things I can share that with you is like civil rights. A lot of people who got involved in church life during the civil rights movement, guess what? They weren't born again. But they went to church because the cause of the community was there in the church. So we're at church not for Christ, but for a cause. And now when the cause is over, guess what happens? A vacuum in the church takes place. I'm going to step out on a limb here. But let me say this. I've not heard anyone say Jalen Walker was wrong. So I was challenged in a meeting. Pastor Brown, we haven't seen you out in any of the marches. And I said, no. I think all of this could have been prevented if there would have been a stop at the very beginning. And I've not heard anyone say 
Jalen Walker was wrong. Nobody deserves to get shot 90 times, 46 times, whatever it was. Nobody deserves to get shot that many times. But we cannot negate the wrong that took place. The young man who was walking out of the store with stolen goods and the security guard tries to stop him and he's and now we want to press charges and all this against the security guard. Was the young man wrong in stealing? Was the man wrong in stealing? 24 years old. Was he wrong? At some point we got to stay. where was the wrongness? We want justice, but where's the wrongness at? And we have to deal with that. But rather than that, we're seeing some of our churches fill up for a cause called justice. Is it justice or is it vengeance, as I asked the man? Which one really is it? Justice or vengeance? Because, see, we get involved in the cause. So the churches are being filled up over a Jalen Walker cause. And I know this is going to go out, and I know I'm going to get some more slack about it. But the whole issue is this. Was there any wrongdoing on his part? Now, it's different than what Peter says. Sometimes we have to suffer for what? Righteousness sake. And because you do everything right doesn't mean you won't suffer. But don't do the wrong thing. Do the right thing. And what we see is, again, this cause effect. But it's in the community. Then, boy, you join Christ and then you want to fight a cause. Then from 2010 till today, the church sees, first of all, look at the difference. Not Christ, but they look at the cause. What is the cause we can pick up in the community? What is the thing we can really go after? So we go after the cause rather than Christ. In the cause, we move the cause into the community. We get the community all excited about what? the cause, not Christ. But what I want you to see is the real difference here. 1915, 1980, Christ was first. Where is Christ at now? He's the last. He's not the first. The cause is the first. We will fill the church over a cause, but not over Christ. And that's something we have to really think about. We have to really think about. So where do we start? Let's close out with Matthew as our starting point for next week even. Matthew 16. And I want you to underline something in verse 18 that I think we often forget. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock. Now there's a big debate about what is meant by this rock. But I want you to pick up on these words. I will I will build my church. I will build my church. Don't get into argument about the rock. Don't get into argument about Peter. 
look at what Jesus says. I, I will build my church. Not Pastor Brown's church. Not Bishop Joey's church. Not this person's church. Not Angelie's church. Not Rex Humbert church. I will build what? My church. Not a Tony Evans church. My church. We got to get back to that foundation. That when we talk about church, we're talking about his church, not somebody else's church. His church. His church. Can we see it? Can you see the confusion that takes place? Because even now, I have people tell me every night, oh yeah, Pastor Brown, your church is on Diagonal Road. No, I don't have no church on Diagonal Road. That ain't my church. See? And sometimes I tell people, I work at the church. I'm not responsible for the church in a sense. He's responsible. He provides. He keeps the doors open. He keeps the bills paid. Not me. We got to get our minds straightened out on some of our language that we use in this generation with some of the people that we talk to. Because you're saying one thing and they have a total different picture of what you're talking about when you're talking about the church. And we got to know how they see it in order that we can explain it biblically. That it's his church. Father, we want to thank you that you did not leave any man in charge of your church. You did not leave a Peter, a Paul, a Timothy, a Luke, a John in charge of your church. But Lord Jesus, you said you are the head of your church. You will direct your church. You've laid the foundations for your church. You are the one who sacrificed for your church. You're the one who gave your life for your church. You're the one who shed your blood for your church. And 